Hi, this is Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast. Today we'll be doing John 7 through 10 as part of Come Follow Me 2019, and we'll probably only get to 8 and 9. But welcome, and actually today we're going to be at the Legacy Retirement Home, and so you'll hear some of the students there. And join us as we explore John 7 through 10. Good morning, brothers and sisters. That was a lot of prep for me. So, you know, that song reminds me um, how poorly I sing. Uh, and I love that song, and I, I love these scriptures we're going to study today. But when I served my mission in my very first area, I didn't realize that the harmony is done on the top line, and I can only ever hear the top line. So I was singing it around our apartment over and over again, and it's just like a high note. And finally, my... Spanish companion who could not sing finally said, Hermana Denning, if you sing that song one more time, we're over. So, <laughs> so every time I sing that, I'm like, oh, Hermana Manin would be mad. Um, I, I really love to sing, but I am really not very good at it. So, um, so hopefully you'll never have to sit next to me. Welcome, brothers and sisters. We, uh, happy Cinco de Mayo. Feliz Cinco de Mayo, that is exciting. I hope we'll all have tacos later. Um, any chance to eat Mexican food is a holiday in my book. So, um, and uh, Shabbat Shalom, happy Sabbath. Uh, excited to be here with you guys. You guys are my, well, you're my favorite. Don't tell my other class. Um, so, they know. Because um, I start with, you're not my favorite class. This will go as well, but they meet right now, so, so we're always at the same time. Um, we have a big set of things to read today, and so we're jumping into the Gospel of John. And so from your study from Wednesday, we'll probably go through this. But I prepared a couple of different things today. If some of you saw, I brought some visual aids, and I never bring visual aids, right? So we'll see how they go. But I thought what we could do, if you guys are okay with it, depends on where you're, you're supposed to be like a discussion that we don't really do. I just teach the same, right? Are you guys okay with that? Of course. Of course. I mean, what can you say? I have the microphone. But what I was thinking we could do today is, is do a little bit. We're going to start in John 7. And I want to do a little historical context about the setting of these stories. They, they all happen basically in the same day or so. They say a few, just a few days. And there are these hints in John 7, uh, 8, 9, 10 that tell you about the context but not having grown up as Jews in ancient Israel, we might miss it. Um, so what I thought I'd do is show you some of that as we read through it. And then I want to, if, if you guys are, we can go to any of the stories. There are so many stories in here, so many. So if you have something that you're super excited about, we can go there. Or I thought we could do uh, the man born blind because it, it feeds into what we're going to learn today, okay? So kind of get your mind around those and then We'll, um, we'll do that. So, I will need a couple of people to help me read today. So if someone's like a really good reader, we won't need it for a while. We're gonna read short verses in the beginning, but we'll need someone to really help me with chapter eight. You have to like read the whole thing. So, we have it up here on the screen. Worst case, I'll just read it to you. But um, we've already heard enough of me talking. So let's, um, let's jump in. You guys, I am wearing a skirt that does not bode well for this microphone. It's kind of taking itself with it. So if you see me holding on, it's 
not a concealed weapon. It's the microphone, and I'm holding up my skirt because it doesn't really, it's not very uh, tight. So, yeah. So, just walk around. Sorry, so I'm kind of embarrassed and uncomfortable with that sit up. Okay. Don't be. Don't be? You can't see anyway. Dawn. What? DT. Dawn. No. Dennis. I just think of you as DT. Dawn. I don't know. I'm old. All right. Dennis. You're old. I'm old. All right. So let's uh, let's jump over to John seven. John seven. And the timing that we are at uh, is as far as kind of is uh, it says it's the seventh month. Um, so it's the seventh day in the seventh month, which is the month of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar, which, by the way, would have been this year, um, April 7th, would have been April 7th. So everything in the Hebrew calendar is a, is a lunar calendar, and so everything follows the holidays, follow a lunar schedule, so there's kind of a holy time, and then there's a holy space, like the temple. And so they follow a lot of these because it was important, whether it was the Sabbath or various festivals that are going to take place. So someone read for me John 7, 2. We're just going to scroll up. It's super brief. Um, does someone have that? We're going to read off the screen. John 7, 2. Okay, so not Don. <laughs> this is Don. Don's a good name. Don. I That's, like that Don. must be what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, Don, you'll have to read for us soon, too. Okay. <laughs> now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. Okay. So the Apostle John here has put in a whole verse to tell us this very important feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, so the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three feasts that are celebrated where everyone was required to come to Jerusalem, right? And so this was, it was, it was a seven-day feast. And it went along with Passover, and then the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of um, the Tabernacles, which is also called Sukkot. And Sukkot is the plural for a little, a little hut that you would, you would live in. And so um, this is kind of what would happen. I thought we'd go through it. You guys okay so far? The Feast of Tabernacles. So everyone would have to come to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate this. So it was a pilgrimage feast, so Jerusalem just swelled at this time, right? So people would come from hundreds and hundreds of miles if they could, and they would come into Jerusalem. And again, it was right around this time of year, and it was spring, and it was celebrating all three of these festivals really celebrate, so Passover, uh, Pentecost, uh, and Tabernacles all celebrate uh, certain events that took place in the past. Can you guys think of any events that we would have commemorated as ancient Jews in Passover or in the Tabernacle? Something that was happening that they celebrated, something that happened way in the past. What did Passover <laughs> celebrate? Good, remember? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you what Tabernacle means. Yeah, we've got one in the back. So they all celebrated a certain historical event. And they all kind of were the same big set of events. So with that one. Well, the Feast of the Passover was celebrated when the angel of death passed over the children yeah. of Israel. Yeah, so exactly right. A plus for you. You can collect your uh, gospel doctrine score somewhere. But um, they, 
the feast of the Passover as well as the Pentecost and the Tabernacles all are part of this remembering of God delivering them out of their slavery in Egypt. And the time of Tabernacles is a little booth. It's a little hut that you would make from uh, just from leaves and, and branches like palm fronds and you would make a little wooden hut and you would stay in it and you would eat all your meals and you would sleep in there and so you're working in your house you would you would make this little hut kind of a tent and you would stay in it for the seven days and so the Sukkot is um is the the feast tabernacle a little hut because that's what they had to stay in while they were wandering around for 40 years right you didn't have a house you were staying in a tent yeah the families yeah, so your whole family would stay out there, and you would eat out there, you would sleep out there. And so I grew up with, um, most of you know, I grew up with some really good Jewish friends, and they would build a little hut um, in their backyard. And only the men really had to practice it for them, but they would literally like camp out and eat out there and sleep in this little, yeah. Now we were in San Diego, so it wasn't too much burden to sleep in the backyard. Um, but I have seen traditional Jews in in New York, there's no, they don't, you know, they look at apartments, so sometimes they'll make them in their apartment, which isn't kosher, but they'll put them like on the back of a pickup truck, because um, they don't have a park or something, because it's so, so they're trying still to believe or follow this practice. So you can just kind of think of it as a little hut, the Feast of the Huts, whatever. So it was seven days long, so it went from this fourth month um, which again would have been the 7th of April this year, I looked it up, uh, 7th of April, and it went from the 7th uh, through for seven days. And this is kind of what they did. This was, this was part of the celebration, is they lived in those huts, and they celebrated that, because again, they were wandering the desert. Right? And we remember how hard it was, and when we were delivered, and now have a home, the promised land. So we're remembering we're out, not in the promised land, we're out wandering, and part of this festival was this uh, called the pouring out ceremony. So I did not have a golden pitcher. I had a glass pitcher and put yellow paper in. So I told you I couldn't sing. I also cannot craft. So just you know, I'm, I'm holding a glass pitcher. Thanks, Smith's Marketplace. Um, this is supposed to represent gold. So what would happen every morning, every morning, a group of the temple priests would walk down from the temple, they would get their golden pitcher, and they would march down all the steps, and they would go down to the spring of Siloam, or Shiloh, and they would go down, and they would fill up the, the uh, pitcher, this golden pitcher from the temple, with the water right from the spring. And they called the water, because it was from the spring and it was moving, they called it living water. This was had to be living water. In fact, just so you know, you're supposed to be baptized in living water, not like a stagnant pool. Same symbolism, okay? So they would go down and they would get this. And then the group would, in this, right in the morning dawn, they would <coughs> march back up all the stairs and they would get back to the temp, the, um, the uh, section of the temple that was for the priests where the altar of sacrifice was and they would march around once. They would march around it and then they would pour the water out. So it was called the pouring out ceremony. Now that's a lot of information. 
and yet it's going to be really important to all of the things the Savior is going to say in these next couple of verses. Because he's doing, he's going to say a lot of words about water. And he's going to use terms like living water. And this is during this festival. Okay, so it's during this festival every morning. Now on the seventh day, on the seventh day, the priests would go down and there would be this procession and they would fill it up from the pool and then they would march around, march all the way back up into the temple precincts and they would go around to the altar of sacrifice seven times before they poured it out. What do you think they were symbolizing? We already know they're camping out in these little huts. Any idea what they're symbolizing with water? What do you, any ideas? What was it? Purifying? Yeah, it was purifying. Right, good. They were marching around the desert to be purified, right? And now finally they're, they're clean. Good, I like that. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Well, they live in a desert. So kind of like us, right? We live here in a desert, and so water is precious. And what does water give us in a desert community? Life. Because it's life. So they're going to pour out this water as the life that God is going to give them. Okay. Additionally, one thing that happens around this time of year is this is when the dry season moves to there's a set of the wet season in Israel where it starts to rain. And so they are hoping for more rain. And what does the rain bring to them in their crops? Yeah, it brings them food and, and life, right? More. So it's this time when they're praising the Lord for saying, pour out your spirit on us, right? They're pouring out the spirit, pouring out this water, this life-giving spirit that's going to give us life and food and energy and purify, right? And they would all march around and that, and then they would live in these little huts, remembering when they were delivered and when they came to the promised land and were given new life. Got it? Okay, now on the last day, on the last day of this <coughs> festival, in the temple, remember the temple's a big kind of rectangular um, feature, and King Herod, the first Herod, not the Herod's living now, but the Herod at the time of the very beginning of the Gospels, Herod the Great, he had carved off the top of the hill, and he put this big platform there, and then on it, he had rebuilt the temple. He hadn't, he didn't destroy it, he kept it running, but he built around it, and then he built uh, the Antonia Fortress, and he built this huge temple complex. It's like Temple Square. Okay, this is just the temple. It's this huge temple complex. Part of this complex is the actual temple, and it, it's a big rectangle area, so there were these various courts. So you went kind of working your way in, in various levels of holiness, right? So you went in from the Temple of Gentiles, the Temple of Women, Temple of Priests, Holy Place, Holy of Holies. So you kind of super holy. And so as you went through this holy space right there. Now as they would march up to this in the temple where the sacrifices were made, made where they poured the water out. And in that same area, they had huge menorah. Do you guys know what a menorah is? Who knows what a menorah is? So much pointed. Yeah, I brought mine. There were seven, seven. Um, this is a Hanukkah menorah, so it's nine. Um, but in, in a tradition to not profane the ancient temple, I don't have a seven. You can buy them, but 
Um, this is a Hanukkah menorah, so it's nine arms, so it's too, too many. <coughs> but it, it looks kind of like this, right? So they had these huge candlesticks. Can you guys see this? And they would pour the olive oil in these little buds, and it looks kind of like, uh, well, it's got these almond buds on it, and it's like arms that go out. Does this remind anybody of a certain something? Something with buds, branches, like a big tree. That's exactly right. The menorah is a symbol of the big of a big tree. Okay, it's a big tree. Oh, good, a tree of life. Could be somewhere in the temple. They often mentioned a tree or two. But um, the menorah, they had four giant menorah. They were giant golden-covered candlesticks like this. And they don't actually put a candle in it. They put olive oil in it. And then they make a wick of the old priestly garments. That's how they used them. So they would put that in a float. And then they would... No, it's working. Just got to pull my pants up. And then they would light this, but on the seventh day, so there were four of them in the four corners, and they were up so high that they were up kind of above the walls. And remember, this is a time when people didn't have street lights and, and all the lights in their homes. So they would gather at dusk on the final day of this Feast of Tabernacles, because now they are commemorating, they have arrived to the Promised Land, and then on the top of this hill that's been carved off, in the middle of the hill are these big four giant candlesticks, and right as it gets to be dark, everything can just feel it. It just gets so dark. And not dark like here in South Jordan, but dark like the mountains, right, where there's no light, just really dark. And then they would light the menorah. And Josephus, who's a uh, historian that writes shortly after the time of Christ, wrote that the light was so great it lit the whole temple mount and they could see it from miles away. So the whole hillside would it would just be so much light and it would light up. And that was on the last day of this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you've done your reading. Is Jesus going to use a couple of symbols water and light? Okay. Is it maybe important to remember the Feast of Tabernacles? Yes. Okay. This is why John tells us this story. We've got a comment in the back. I can speak loudly. Okay. I think it's interesting at this point that we light up our temples also. Yes, we light up. We put them on the hill. It's where they can really be seen in the bright light. Yeah, we can see them in a bright light. And it reminds me of Matthew 5, right? Like, either do men light a candle and put it under a bucket, but on the hill bushel. Um, right? They don't put it under a basket. So I'm translating. It's Lori's translation. I have freedom to translate. Um, and neither do men uh, light a candlestick and put it under a bucket, but they put it on a hill. And it lights everyone in the house, right? And you can be seen from afar off. So that is this piece of tabernacles. Okay? So John is telling us Hey, everybody, this time when Christ is going to talk about himself, he's going to talk about these symbols during this very symbolic feast. And so we should just refresh ourselves a little, right? What does light symbolize? Any ideas? 
What was it? Christ. Yeah, symbolized Christ. Very good. Any specific things of Christ that jumped out at you? Anything else? I heard lots of mumbling. Like, well, I don't want to say it too loud in case you point me out. Truth. Light. Light and truth, right? Good. It's truth. There was a thought in the back. Knowledge. Light is a good symbol for truth, for knowledge, for Christ. Yeah, that's kind of an easy one for us, right? But like, yeah, that's that's it. So this pouring out of water is life. This pouring out of water is the spirit. And then the light is Christ and knowledge and um, truth, right? This on the hill that's a beckon, beckoning to us. And that's what's happening right now in this story. Or it could also be a, a light of direction. Could be a light of direction. For somebody that Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? It could give us direction. Light could give us direction. Yeah, you're far away. Like a lighthouse or something, right? It tells you where to go. Good. All right, should we jump into actually the man we're blind and see if we can apply these stories? <coughs> it is hot here. I'm with you. Whew. It's hot. It's hot. I thought it was just me. But, um, but I'm excited about the scriptures, so that happens. All right, let's go to... Um, so at this time, um, oh, this is so good. Let's let's do this. Let's stay in seven and let's scroll down to verse thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and thirty-nine. So it's this the first one we read is the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and then we're going to be at the last day, the last day. So does anybody have John seven, thirty-seven? Through 39, that will read that for us. We've got a few. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood in Christ, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Uh, three, in 38, 39, do you mind reading a couple more? He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Christ was not yet glorified. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for reading. All right, do you guys catch it? So this is the last day of the feast, the great day. This is the day when they're going to take the processions up, it's going to march around seven times, and they're going to pour the water out for the final day. And this is, uh, they, the seven days kind of lead up to this final day, right? The big day of the feast. So they've been practicing, and they've been going through this, and then this is this last, this is it, right? It's kind of like the 12 days of Christmas, and, it, and it's really finally Christmas, right? So it's the last day of the feast, and you're finally here. And he stands up, and he says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And they're like, wait, what? Right? He, they're pouring out this water. And he says, if you really thirst, come to me. And then he that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow the rivers of living water. What is it? What are they? What is he saying? Did you guys catch it? Who's, who is he saying he is? Yeah. He's 
Yeah, and he's saying he's Christ. That's exactly right. He's saying because the scripture says, out of the Lord, right, will flow this living water. And he's like, I'm the guy. If you're thirsty, come here. He is testifying of who he is. So remember, it's the middle of the festival where they're pouring out. God is going to give them the spirit. God is going to give them life. And he stands up and says, I am the living water. Did you catch it? And people go, is this him? <laughs> is this that prophet? And some go, I don't know. He's from Galilee. Is he supposed to be from Galilee? And they're like, whoa, this is right? mind-blowing. I think sometimes we think that the followers up in the north, Galilee, are falling around. They're seeing the miracles. And did Christ really, give, really testify? Did he show who he was? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right? Can you imagine? You're in the middle of the temple ceremony and says, I'm it. And you go, I, well, okay. Yes? I think in a sense, Josh, I think he's, I, I, gotta, I gotta believe that in a sense he's actually <laughs> chastising them along with what he's saying. Because, yes. and he's telling them, look, you're supposed to understand this. This did not be a surprise to you. Yeah. I'm, if you've seen what I've been doing the last uh, couple of years, two and a half years, yeah. what is it? Yeah, two and a half, it's about two three and a half years. Now. If you've seen what's been going on and have heard these miracles have been going on, you should understand. You're, you shouldn't question it. Right. But it's like today. Yeah. No different than today. It is. I the think witness we have of, of Christ. Christ is there. I think you're right. It's not a secret. He is yeah. proclaiming um, who he is and their chance to participate. Susan? Do you think the rituals became more important than what it was really symbolically trying to teach the people? Hmm. That's a good question. Did the rituals become more important than the symbols that they symbolized? Well, the symbol was Christ. The symbol was Christ. And they didn't believe in Christ. And so I think they were so into the yeah. symbols and doing the rituals that they missed the whole point. Yeah, that's. I think that's true. Obviously, it has thousands of followers, so they didn't all miss it. I think we sometimes think that it was like no one caught it. Right. But there were thousands that followed him, right? So that he had to like get in a boat and get away from them and things at times. So, but yes, the leadership, and some of them are like, God, and even this quote, I don't know, here he is proclaiming, and it seems miraculous and everything, but isn't he supposed to be from Galilee? Can I share a story about one of my students a few years back? You don't know him, so I can share. But he came to me and he had some questions. Um, he had been in the army for a few years. He'd seen some pretty terrible things overseas. And I'm just a lowly institute teacher at this point um, that only does that part-time. And he came and said, Lori, I don't, I don't get a couple of things about the gospel. And he had some principles that he didn't understand. Let's say it was this one. I don't really understand Christ, but it was a different issue. And I said, well, I don't know. I guess there's points that all of us don't get. Right? There are points that there are points of the gospel that we don't all get. But how many people actually knew Jesus was born in Bethlehem? They called him Jesus of Nazareth. 
They call him Jesus of Nazareth. And while Mary, his mother's around in some of the stories, she's the story, we don't find this Bethlehem story. And of the Gospels, of the four Gospels, how many have that he's born in Bethlehem as part of the story? One. Luke. The Luke 2 story, right? Matthew talks about the Magi and all that, but Luke is the one that talks about him being born in Bethlehem. And so we, it wasn't a super popular part of the story. It wasn't, they weren't saying, oh, he's finally born in Bethlehem. But they're seeing, they're seeing these miracles, and they are seeing him teach, and they are amazed, and they, he has some followers, and you're like, you know, this is amazing, but there's that one thing, that Bethlehem thing, that's hanging me up. Do we ever have something in the gospel that we're like, I don't get that part. So I'm going to throw out the good parts. Because I don't get it. He sure seems awesome like that Bethlehem thing. And to be later go, oh yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. Oh, I guess I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I had a uh, brother-in-law. He said you can be a cafeteria Mormon and go and just pick uh, yeah. yeah, You can be a cafeteria Mormon and just pick the ones that you want to yeah. live and want to live and understand. Yeah, I, we probably all do that a little bit, right? Kind of go, well, some of these things are pretty tough. Um, pretty tough. Good, good thoughts. Okay. Yeah, Val. Would the thing that uh, to me is that he is representing, he, he is not the father. He still he's the father's son and he is the Christ of the day but but he still gives honor and and so forth to his father because that's where all of it comes from through Jesus Christ yeah good point good point that he still honors the father Let's flip the page and go to um, chapter eight. Yeah. Oh, there's thought over here. No, we can we can stay. The comments are the most important part. So. Okay. I noticed in this also that uh, Jesus often was with just his disciples and was quietly teaching the facts, but this says that he stood up and crieth. Yeah. Now, cry it doesn't mean to boo-hoo, you know, right. it means to shout, yeah. like the town crier. Yeah. And um, so that means he suddenly stood up and shouted at the people if you got their attention. And th so this must have been a very important thing to announce on this wonderful last day of the feast. Here he is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. <laughs> and it says after that they plotted to kill him, right? They start to go, well, we got to, huh. Right? We're going to talk about that. Good thought. He, this isn't a secret. This is, wow. Right? He made it clear. If we flip over to chapter 8, the second pro proclamation that he makes, and I'm going to skip the woman taken in adultery. I know you covered that on Wednesday. Uh, awesome story. Awesome story. I don't mean to mean it, but I do want to skip to this other section that we might have missed, which was verse, um, verse 12. So after during the day, so we've seen the water in the morning, right? I'm the living water, he shouts out, I'm it, like the scripture says. And some people are like, wow, another like, ah, mm, that's weird. And then some are very upset. And then during the day, right, he's right in the temple precincts, 
and they bring in the woman, caught in adultery, and have that story. And then right after that, the story goes to uh, 8.12. Does anybody have uh, 8.12? Well, here it is. Somebody read that for us? Okay. Hold on, Donna's got it. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of my life. Thank you. Great reading. So remember, this is the last day when they light the menorah. So it lights up the whole hillside. And he announces to them, right, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Remember, it's just very dark, very dark. When they light it, I am, they will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Right? Do you see how he's taken the two symbols of this amazing holiday feast and, and tied them back to himself? There could be no doubt what he's saying. I am the way. Right? I am the light. I am the water. I am it. I'm here. I'm here. And then we go to this very, it sounds a little bit odd story, but it goes right in line, and it's chapter 9. Chapter 9. After all of this has gone on, Jesus and his disciples are walking, and they come to a man who's, who's blind from birth. So he's never seen his whole life, right? He's, he's an adult, but he's there in the temple either to participate or perhaps to beg, right, during this festival. And there he is, and his disciples say, hey, who sinned that this man was born blind? Which was a common belief, right? Well, he probably deserves it. I mean, whatever. And he clears that up. That's not, no one sinned. That's not how it works. Different point. Um, but then he, uh, he says, well, the reason he was born blind was so that uh, the works of God should be made manifest in him. And the JST says that uh, you will see, and it says, but so you will have faith, that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he continues on, right? Here's a blind man, and I, he was born blind so that I could show you all that I am the light. And then do you guys remember what he does? Remember what the Savior does? Yeah. Yeah, he takes, he takes a little bit of spit and he puts it in the dirt. Remember it's a stone. You guys, this is like a, probably just a little bit of dirt that's on the ground there. And he puts a little bit of clay, a little bit of dirt, and he puts it on his eyes. And he tells the blind man that he has to go do something. Remember what he had to go do? Watch, where, where did he go? He went to the close. He went to the pool of Siloam. And where did we fill up that goblet? The pool of Siloam. See how he's tied it all together? You probably haven't noticed that before. Now you'll never forget it. Or you already have. Whichever. <laughs> but it was important. Don't forget it. He's tying this story together. They bring the water of life, the living water, and they pour it out, right? The spirit, they're giving it out to everyone. And he takes this clay and he says, go wash, right? Go wash. And then he does. Now, 
of the say five senses that you have sight, hearing, touch, taste, uh, smell, did I miss one? Whatever they are. What would we vote would be the worst one to lose? Probably sight tends up pretty high, right? We might say hearing. I do love a good taco, so I might say taste. But um, really bad. I'd be thinner. But I think we say sight, right? We say sight would be pretty hard to lose. And yet this man has never seen. Um, what The blind man had to, so what does that teach us? What does it teach us spiritually, right? Are we ever blind spiritually? How are we blind spiritually? What does that mean? You don't have to answer yourself, just like generally. What does it mean to be blind spiritually? We just had a group of people that might not understand that he's the Christ, right? What could it be? Unbelieving. Unbelieving. I think you're right. I think the blindness and sight is belief. I think that's what he's saying it is. Sight is belief. Blindness is unbelief. Yeah. They don't get the point. They don't get the point? They don't get what it's all about. Yeah. They're like, I saw it, but I didn't get it. Right? I just wasn't aware. That's a, that's a good takeaway as well. Right? When we just don't sometimes get the point. Susan? <coughs> but I'm blind sometimes. And I'm a believer. And sometimes I just don't get it. And I don't do things. Right, I do. I still stand. Yeah. Well, in the story, we're going to see a few people in the story. We're going to see Jesus, his disciples, the blind man, the Pharisees, and his parents. Who are you in this story? Probably all of them at some point in time. It's trying to teach us about something. But chances are, to begin with, I'd start with the blind man. Right? <laughs> I'd start there. Right? We're probably times we don't always get it. We may have some disbelief. It may be right in front of us and we didn't understand. We didn't understand. Okay, so in the story, the man has to go down and do something. Right? Is that, how does that apply to us? If we have something that we're unsure of or disbelief, is there something that we have to do or we just, we'll just get it one day? this off and go, I don't know what this crazy guy is doing with my face, right? And remember, he goes down to the pool. He has to make his way down there. He's blind. It doesn't say someone guided him. It doesn't say Jesus helped him. It says that he makes his way down there. Now, I suppose he could have help just like all of us, but he makes his way down. What does that teach us about when we have something we don't understand? or unbelief, or disbelief, or doubts, or worries, or concerns. What is there something we have to do? We have to go to who? To God. To God. We have to go to God, right? He goes to this water. He has to go to this, I am the living water. We have to do at work. And he has to wash, wash his eyes, right? He has to do the work, the blind man. He, he has to do it. Um, what's the? What do you think the clay? He says he puts clay on his eyes. What does the clay maybe represent? He takes a piece of earth, a little bit of the world, and he puts it on his eyes. 
And then the little man has to go down to the pool and he has to wash away what? The world. The world. The world. You're on to it. You're seeing the symbolism, right? He has sometimes, how do we wash away the world from our lives? How do we wash away, when we have something we need help on, do we make the effort and then we have to wash away our disbelief? How do we wash it away? By turning, doing something different. Doing something different, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's as simple as repenting. I think it's stepping away from our worldly concerns, our desires, our passions, uh, from our, just sometimes our, our focus, right? It's so worldly sometimes. We need to change our focus and turn it on to the Lord. And so he goes down and says, you have to wash the worldliness away from your eyes, from your belief, right? And then when you do, you will see. And then he can see. Yeah? Because he knew lots of things. He was blind, but he, but he knew things. Yeah. And so that would wash away the old things that he knew or the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah, it's washing it away. Isn't that a great symbol? And now he has light. He's done both symbols. I've used the water of having the Lord wash away the world, as well as light and belief and life comes into his life. Right? Yes, sir? The scripture comes to my mind is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. And that's what is, to me, is taking place. That is, I, I think you're right. That's what's taking place. I like that, Val. That's a strong connection. Good job. Light, nice. I'm going to think about that. We're out of time. We're out of time. Brothers and sisters, I have a homework assignment for you. Go through the rest of this chapter and see what the responses are of the Pharisees, of the man who was blind, and his parents to this new miracle. And see if you don't see a pattern in our own lives that the Lord's trying to say. When we have a belief, and now we have testimonies, they have a reaction, right? Each of these three groups have a reaction to this miracle of new belief, right? New light, new life. And I think it's a good template for what happens in our lives or how we should be when we receive light and truth in our lives. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is true, and I am grateful for the Savior of my life, for his scriptures and the light and truth and living water that he supplies to me and to all of us. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.